And welcome to this week's edition of An Organic Conversation, a show about food, ecology, stories from the land, recipes, nature, sustainability, interconnectedness, relationships, lots of produce and life itself. And today we are celebrating the history of Earl's Organic, outgrowing conventional for 25 years. That's our topic in this hour, and we're here in the studio with the founder and owner of Earl's Organic Produce, Earl Herrick, and Patrick Stewart, the director of operations at Earl's, to hear some history on 25 years of the organic movement from the perspective of carrots and pears and um, what maybe the next years have in storage for us. We're your hosts, Helge Helberg. Mark Mulcahy. And Sitarani Palomar. And welcome to the Produce Dream Team here to the show, Earl and Patrick. Thanks for joining us today. Yeah, well, thanks great for having to, us. Great yes, to thanks. Have you. I like that, Helga. What, <laughs> yeah. what it has in storage for us. That was a really good play on words there. And so we always start our episodes off with a week's review. And we have a perfectly appropriate week's review to talk about and are so happy that we have these gentlemen here with us to talk about it. And it is that there is a proposal by an agricultural company right now to create the first genetically modified apples with the intention that these apples won't brown when sliced or bruised. And this will be called the Arctic apple. They're making it out of a, a combination of some genes from Granny Smith apples and Golden Delicious, which already are the, the slowest to brown, if my memory serves me correctly. And it, right now where they are is they're waiting for approval from the FD, from the USDA, who has already given a preliminary conclusion that they don't believe the Arctic apple will be harmful. So um, it's open for public comment period. They went through this in Canada already. And, the, and from what I've read and researched is that the majority of people were not in favor of doing this in Canada. There was one woman who said she's um, part of the Canadian Biotechnology Action Network. And her quote on this was, is this just a rotten apple that looks fresh? And the concern that this is Great going point. to turn a whole and healthful food into a packaged commodity. So this is a uh, and from what I also read, there's already a grower in Washington State who has planted eight acres of this apple because that is allowed. Even if it has not been approved by the USDA, you can plant it under permit until the approval does or does not go through. But, I mean, the the question that when Mark brought this to us, we were talking about, is it even necessary? What are we going to get from this? And what are the implications of people requesting continued relaxed regulations on the addition of genetically modified foods into our fresh food supply? Mark. <laughs> <laughs> well, the three of us have been doing this produce a long time. And yes, you know, your apples mostly will turn brown if you cut them and leave them out for a while. Um, as, as Sita said, you know, Granny Smith, jazz, have a, jazz apples have a little bit of that gene, as Patrick brought up before we started the show. Uh, Golden Delicious are the slowest to brown. And so they already exist. They may not be your favorite apple, but they already exist. And the thing for me, it's like, why do you need an apple to stay white for hours and hours and hours and hours? And the interesting thing that brings it, that comes up every time for me is recently um, Hawaii just said that they were banning open agriculture of GMOs. On the Big Island? On the Big Island. Mm -hmm. And... Um, one of the, there was a New York Times article that came out and said that one of the councilmen could find no evidence to support why you wouldn't allow GMOs anywhere. And I thought, hmm, this is interesting because if you go to the, the Union of Concerned Scientists or you go to many very reputable scientific websites, you can find actual scientific studies that actually bear out some of the reasons why people aren't so accepting of this technology. And then I thought, why do you need an apple that doesn't brown? And why would you insert something that doesn't that potentially doesn't belong there? How is it going to affect honeybees? How does it affect us? Basically, you know, it's basically a 40-year experiment going on, and we're the guinea pigs. And, you know, you might say you're being a little harsh there, Mark, but the reality <laughs> is I see, I see I've had nothing that shows me that it's anything but. 
Yeah, and science, you know, I mean, the health aspects that we are speculating with right now is only one one side of it. There's um, legal ramification, there's un unclear um, borders, fence, patent rights, like, you know, the entire seat autonomy is kind of at stake and at question in this. What's funny to me is why would anyone use an apple that doesn't brown? Of course, um, processed foods that uh, you basically, you would only use it if you want to cheat somebody because actually if that apple is so brown that you shouldn't eat it anymore, that's information. You want that. You want nature to show you what's no longer fresh because then you throw it away. If we have something that just doesn't show you that it's not fresh anymore, you would never know. So even the motivation for a non-browning apple, b besides you can put some lemon juice on it and kind of delay that browning anyway, right? But it's, it's so interesting, which brings us to freshness. Earl, again, welcome to the show. You yeah. are. You always consider your business in, in nursery, right? The mm. things come Emergency from. Emergency room, he says. Oh, hospital. Yeah, exa hospital, hospital, exactly. That's what yeah. it is. Produce hospital. Yeah. They come <laughs> in from the field. They have been trucked an hour or two. You work with many, many, many local growers here to the San Francisco Bay Area and beyond um, throughout the seasons. And so, whatever the state of produce is in. Um, isn't isn't freshness the key? Like, why why mm. would anything be? What would that do to your business if everything was basically? It doesn't matter how you store it or if you store it because it lasts forever. It's such a yeah. weird concept. Yeah, I wouldn't food. I wouldn't be in that business. Uh, I think it points to how. I mean, I think we all realize that produce is a very uh, visual aspect. Cosmetics is is so important. I mean, historically, and what the organic movement is alternative culture is reintroduced is that that's part that's really almost the least of it it is about freshness and if you can't uh, find indicators for that freshness then you've eliminated a huge percentage of of how you choose something uh, yes. because honestly for me many times like a fig is a good example a fresh fig is this bright brilliant glossy uh, piece of fruit with a bit of dull blush, but as it ages, it, it loses that and gets a deeper dark. Mm -hmm. And that's actually when they're better, when the when they dry out a little bit. I mean, just very subtly, and and the sweetness and the sugars concentrate. So uh, you take that away, and it's a huge, huge aspect. Take away that freshness. Yeah, you need yeah. you need the entire information of of the of life really in all stages to know exactly where you are and what you use, right? And sometimes yeah. people use. You know, cheese that is even older that is running, and so if we had, if it's just, it's so funny that these commodities, it needs to look the same, it needs to feel the same, and taste the same, and then let, let's see how we can make that happen for an entire year. It's just well, a weird concept. I, I think part of the, the gene makeup, it had to be skinny jeans. That's all I can think. Of. <laughs> <laughs> well, something that they said about this is that the the consumption of apples has gone down over the years, and they said, well, you know, if you go to a board meeting and there's a bowl of whole whole apples on the table, people are less likely to grab one and eat one. But if you cut the apples, people are more likely to grab slices and eat them, and you don't want them to look brown. And I'm thinking, you know, people are eating less apples. Maybe that's because they're not getting out and trying the varieties. And Patrick, we were talking about this right when we came on, when you mentioned jazz apples. And I thought, many people may not be as fully aware that an apple is not an apple is not an apple. There are how many varieties, and everyone tastes different. Oh, hundreds. <laughs> yeah, hundred, hundreds of apples. And, and I think part of the problem with people not eating apples is that they've narrowed down varieties of apples that sell by color mm. and not by flavor. Customers are no longer educated in what a jazz apple is. Uh, some of the heritage apples, like <laughs> Cox Orange Pippin, some of these wonderful, wonderful apples <laughs> that don't exist anymore because mm -hmm. they're not pretty. Mm. Or, they, or they don't yield enough to uh, merit the labor to go out and, and, and harvest and, and do those things. Because yep. commercially, there's not enough uh, volume out yep. there anymore, yeah, demand. But I'll tell you, in the last 10, 10 years or so, or probably even more, there has been a return to heritage, you know, uh, heirloom uh, uh, Tomatoes is a good example, and and heirloom apples are, are making a comeback. And what's great about that is that they're grown all over the country. In every uh, part of the country, the different regions has very specific varieties that flourish there. So it's a great regional uh, positive note. And to all our East Coast listeners, I just want to just let you know that even though this is a West Coast centric show, I do travel to the East Coast every fall, and I do know that you still have twenty or thirty different varieties out there in your 
stores that don't look great but taste amazing or are only good for cider or tiny, great for pie or, or in Wisconsin or even Ohio or yeah. wherever you're listening to us, we do recognize that there are a lot of regional differences. But on the large, if you're moving a lot of food through a warehouse, those apples aren't being warehoused and so that when Patrick and Earl were talking about that, I just want to just make sure that yes. they are recognizing these varieties exist in these local communities, but not on the level that are being trucked across the country or being trucked, you know, from uh, Southern but, California. But that brings us right into the topic of today, the history of Earl's Organic outgrowing conventional for 25 years today. A close look at the last 25 years of the organic movement from a vantage point of one of the most progressive produce wholesalers, what has the movement become and where are we headed? Um, before we dive into that topic fully though, as always, here's the update from the world of health and beauty. Here's Chef Sita and uh, Sita Rani Paloma with her holistic bite. Well, switching gears to a completely unrelated topic, this is going to be the only non-produce section <laughs> of the hour. And I want to talk about essential oils, essential oils for health particularly, because you can use essential oils for a lot of things. And essential oils have so many remarkable properties. Uh, there's a wonderful blog that I love by a woman who works with essential oils in her business. Her blog is called Crunchy Betty. And she says that she thinks of essential oils as the soul of the plant, oh, wow. which I think is really true. And, and you can use these to naturally address ailments from headaches and bad moods to aches and pains and cramps. And there are different preparation techniques to best address the issue. So I thought that I wanted to give people a couple easy entry points to start using essential oils for health. Some of my favorites include for muscle aches and pains, arnica oil. Arnica oil is amazing for sprains and bruises. It helps to prevent and even reduce inflammation after injury or after a workout. And a great way to enjoy and absorb the benefits of arnica oil is to take a bath with Epsom salt and about 10 drops of arnica oil. I always travel with this oil because the worst thing is to get somewhere on vacation and then get injured or you know have get tired from the walking and your feet are sore or you hurt your back or something. Take arnica oil with you when you travel. That's one of my one of my absolute necessities. Something else in the pain world, back pain, really frequent in our culture. And rosemary is an antispasmodic, which means it helps to reduce spasms. So using a combination of rosemary and lavender, you can make a hot compress. You do about six to eight drops of a combination of these two oils into a small bowl of water. And then soak a washcloth in that, and you can put that on the affected area. It helps to reduce the spasm that's happening and calm down the area. Some other things that you can use essential oils for, one of my favorites, headaches. I discovered a blend. I think I was probably in the sixth grade and I wandered into an essential oil shop and they had all of these blends for different things. I happened to have a headache at the time and I smelled this aroma. It was a combination of peppermint, lavender, and I believe chamomile. But you can use eucalyptus, lemon, chamomile, any of these, put together a combination of three of these different aromas and dab it on your temples. You know, if you clench your teeth and put your fingers on the outside of your head, you'll find your temples and that is a place where you can dab these essential oils. The aroma will help to calm down any of that stress or constriction that might be causing your headache. And then if you find that you need to lift the mood in your home, you can create a room spray by using 50 drops of an essential oil in about 100 milliliters of water. Combine them in a spray bottle. And there are lots of different oils that are good scents for uplifting, including rose, sandalwood, orange, jasmine, chamomile, and citronella. And lastly, for our female fans, our female listeners, marjoram, clary sage, and ilong ilong are fantastic for reducing the pain associated with mental, menstrual cramps. So combine th these three, marjoram, clary sage, and ilong ilong, about two drops each. You want six drops in total, so you can kind of change the ratio there. In 10 milliliters of a carrier oil, and the carrier oil will help give permanence to this, and it will make it very easy to spread because you can use it as a massage in circular motion around your abdomen, around your solar plexus, around your low back, and that will help to relieve 
the aches and pains that you get that time of the month. So for a longer list of essential oils you can use, and I hope you get out there and experiment, please do visit our blog on anorganicconversation.com. And that was this week's Holistic Bite. And, um, you know, we had Cami McBride on um, the Herbal Kitchen, mm-hmm. and uh, she was talking about using essential oils. And I remember that it fascinated me, and I started, I actually take, took her book and started making bath uh, salves and things like that. It's wonderful. I carry rose oil with me uh, sometimes when I'm feeling anxious, just a little smell of rose oil. And you said this wasn't going to be about produce, but you brought up citrus oil. Mm. <laughs> and, of course, you would find a way. <laughs> <laughs> so quick. And, and citrus oil, that's one of the uplifting ones. Or, mm-hmm. And so it makes sense. If, you know, if you smell an orange, it makes it you makes feel sense. good. makes sense. Yeah. In more ways than one. <laughs> it makes you feel good. If you put your, if you kind of start peeling an orange and you get that, totally. it releases that oil, it makes you feel good. I, I, like, I like this idea. Yeah, wonderful. And as a room infuser, if infuser, infuser, <laughs> it's such an easy, I mean, people spend, you know, $4 on whatever product name it may be, but we all know them of synthetic room freshener, right? Mm-hmm. That's all you need. You need like three drops of this essential oil in the entire house. Smells wonderful. It's amazing. Or having a bowl of produce. Or you could <laughs> open up an orange and, uh, <laughs> I and then you have had, something to eat. You had something. I saw those eyes twinkle. Well, you know, one of the great things is uh, in, in the blossom time of year, walking through uh, an orange grove, it's it's absolutely spectacular. It's intoxicating. Yeah. Orange yes. blossom, I think, is one oh of the goodness. most, it's, it's actually an aphrodisiac scent. It is unbelievable. Thank you, Sita. That's Sita Rani Paloma, a.k.a. Chef Sita and her holistic bite the weekly update of what's going on in the world of health and fashion and beauty. Our topic today is the history of Earl's Organic, outgrowing conventional for 25 years, a beautiful review of the past 25 years of the organic movement from the vantage point of produce and a forecast of where we may be heading, what the future may hold. With us here in the studio is Earl Herrick, owner and founder of Earl's Organic Produce, and Patrick Stewart, his director of operations. Uh, before we dive into that topic fully, though, <laughs> um, we'll take a quick break and we'll be right back with more. Stay tuned. Are you a chef, have a catering business, or planning a party, or simply just love organic produce? If you're in the San Francisco Bay Area, walk right in to Earl's Organic Produce. Anyone can buy directly from us at wholesale prices. You don't have to be a natural food store to enjoy the freshest and most delicious organic produce. We are located on the San Francisco Produce Market at 2101 Gerald Avenue. We look forward to seeing you. Walk-in hours are Monday through Friday throughout the night from 10 p.m. to 10 a.m. Minimum purchase is one box or flat, cash or checks only. For more information, visit earlsorganic.com. Fry Vineyards is America's first organic winery, family-owned and operated since 1980. Dedicated to the highest levels of organic and biodynamic farming, Fry never adds synthetic sulfites or other preservatives to their wines. Fry organic and biodynamic wines include delicious Cabernet Sauvignon, Zinfandel, Syrah, Chardonnay, and Sauvignon Blanc. Fry Vineyards, Mendocino County award-winning wines without added sulfites. Available at grocery stores and online at frywine.com. That's F-R-E-Y-W-I-N-E.com. And we are back here to an organic conversation. I'm Helga Helberg. I'm Mark and I'm Sita Rani Palomar. Our topic today is the history of Earl's Organic and the history of the organic movement as both of them go parallel, outgrowing conventional for 25 years a beautiful review of the past 25 years of the organic movement and a forecast of where we may be heading. Thanks for joining us today here in the studio. That's Earl Herrick, the owner and founder of Earl's Organic Produce, and Patrick Stewart, director of operations. So th- right now, the organic industry, the global sales are $63 billion a year. And, you know, in from 2001 to 2009, it grew 170% in sales. And it's like, oh, my goodness, right? It still grows at double digits, like 19% a year. It's still growing. And produce, of course, uh, makes up about 35 (laughs) to 38% of that. It's still the driver for most people, their entryway into the organic market. And what's the percentage of produce in the overall organic? Like 35 to 38%. And it's been there. It's been steadily there for the last 20 years. That's because of you guys. Well, thank okay. you. Yeah. And, 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 I <laughs> and think that was this yeah. week's edition. And that was this week's edition. <laughs> but, you know, the interesting thing is, is I was around doing this 25 years ago. Earl was around doing this 25 years ago. Patrick, you've been doing it 
20 years. 20 years, okay. So, but it's a different industry now. There's a lot has changed. And so, you know, what was the landscape like for organic back when, when you guys were first starting? Oh, I'm going to go back even a little further. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> you can tell those stories on the air, Earl. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, yeah. So Earl's has been around for 25, and we're entering our 26th now. And I was a retailer for 10 years before I started the wholesale business. So we go back 35 years. And that's really where it was very, very interesting. Uh, the supply was so small that you had to pre-order and and the market was small enough that it, it, it matched perfectly for example i would uh, try and find uh, a half a dozen cases of red leaf lettuce and that was hard to find but that was all i needed i mean now half doesn't i mean of course that doesn't go anywhere so it, uh, so it was it was it was a small market and and i was able to be at the hot spot which is san francisco and and that's a huge advantage uh, all very synchronistic. The uh, I started on a fruit truck, you know that that fruit truck, and and got introduced. I had great mentors, uh, a couple guys that uh, I'm still great friends with. They're still in produce, and from that fruit truck, got introduced uh, by by actually growers coming by with product. It was a citrus grower and a date grower, and that that introduction was the was the ball rolling. I was sensitive to it because I, I was kind of in my into my diet at that time. Young guy, checking that out, becoming aware of my diet. And so it was an easy step to why would I eat anything that has poisons? And it, it, it's so interesting. Now we say, you know, weather and uh, you know, next week, harvest, which region, water, all that yeah. um, could could delay a crop to come in by a week or two back then you actually dealt with what was delivered that day, right? There was very yeah. little communication. There was no network. There was no electronic infrastructure. I remember yeah. even just 16 years ago in Santa Cruz, you didn't know if apples would come or not that day. Nobody mm -hmm. knew. If a, if a grower stopped by with a truckload of apples, they were apples. If if not, then there wouldn't be any. Yeah, it, w it was incredibly small. Uh, I, living in Marin County, uh, there's Green Gulch right over the hill, right, right, right on the coast, and, and they had a community garden and the wonderful, wonderful product. And I would get up before I'd go down to the market about 10 p.m., drive over the hill, uh, open their reefer, get the 20 boxes of lettuce out, which they harvested like six hours before, drive to the market and sell <laughs> it that day. I, it was so precious. It was, mm. it was almost unbelievable. And the, and the satisfaction of knowing that people were going to be buying it that afternoon in a local store and it was harvested and the day before. that night, right? Yeah, maybe. Probably. Yeah, <laughs> it, it, you couldn't get it any fresher. And the product was just absolutely outstanding. Well, and so the Go ahead. Uh, Patrick, I'm curious to hear what are some of the things you remember from 20 years ago? Besides playing one-on-one -on -one basketball. In, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, I was never one of the basketball guys. Um, my basketball game is a little bit more like football, so people don't like to play with me. <laughs> it's, under it's totally understandable. Um, you know, I, similar to Earl, um, you know, my, f my first introduction um, was picking up at farms and going into coolers and uh, piecing together pallets. Um, 10 or 15 cases from this grower, go to the next farm, 20, 25 cases from that grower. And that truck would then go north where there was a distribution point. I would break off and take a nap for six hours while somebody else filled the truck with orders. And then I'd drive that truck back to San Francisco, buy some things from Earl, and then go and distribute and drop off all of that product to stores all the way down to Santa Cruz. So I got to actually have the experience of Earl had of picking up the produce, but then also dropping it off to the end user. So following it kind of all the way down, which was, which was really fun. Was great, there like experience. a holy grail of organic produce that you guys were just thinking, if one day we can get this item organic, yeah, like melon, we <laughs> will have crazy. hit the jackpot? Well, you know, it was actually mushrooms uh, because, and Mark, you can speak to this with the story you had. I think everything you carried was organic except mushrooms. Uh -huh. And there was nothing around. But as the demand uh, increased and people became more comfortable I remember being on the market, the San Francisco City Market, and walking the market. This was in the 80s, the early 80s, and, and the local uh, vendors would laugh at me. And, and, if, it was, uh, and it was, if they had something for, that was two or three days old, they would jokingly say, hey, Earl, this is organic over here. Uh, I had many growers <laughs> on that so market mean. say, it's impossible to grow XYZ organic. 
and they would actually flat out tell me, and these were conventional growers. And I wouldn't get an argument. I would just say, well, here's a phone number. Call this guy. He's growing them organically. So it was completely uh, poo-pooed. I mean, it had no basis in the general public at all. Yeah, how often did we all hear it can't be done, right? I mean, actually, you still hear that today. There's still some crops, livestock, whatever um, people believe s still cannot be grown organically, even though before the introduction of chemicals in the 1940s, maybe a little bit before, everything was organic, right? It is mm -hmm. actually not a movement that is new. It is truly returning to um, the way we've grown food for 9,000, what is it, 9,000 943 years. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Really, <laughs> 40 years. 43. <laughs> We're going to the 44th, right? Yeah. Yeah. To to um, then make it easier, quote unquote, with chemicals, which never, which didn't turn out. But it's not a new form. So of course, every yeah. form of livestock, every variety, Patrick, that you talked about in the beginning, all the heirlooms, like everything was grown organically 60 years ago and before that. But how often have we heard it can't be done? Mark, you 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 created the first all organic produce stand in the, in the Bay Area, right? Right. And you know how I you know what that mushroom you know how that got solved hmm. <laughs> is I was well for me <laughs> I was doing a farm tour for the uh, Organic Trade Association in Pennsylvania, and I went That's I right. did a farm tour at a mushroom house there, right? It, it had organic mushrooms, and so I went and visited there, and I said. Can you ship these out to the West Coast? That's right. The first ones we had were shipped from Pennsylvania. That's right. Wow. And they would, uh, you were always obviously concerned how long was it sitting on the tarmac. Oh, all the, yeah. All that kind of stuff. It was, it was horrendous. But from that point, uh, you know, several local growers are doing it now. Very successful. I'm sure the demand out, out, outstrips the supply all the time. Yeah, amazing. The history of Earl's Organic and the history of the organic movement, outgoing conventional for 25 years. With us in the studio is Earl Herrick, the owner and founder of Earl's Organic Produce, and Patrick Stewart, the director of operations at Earl's, and of course, our very own Mark Mulcahy, also a produce maven, <laughs> a carrot mm -hmm. whisperer. Um, more of that when we come back. We'll take a quick break, but we'll be right back with more. Stay tuned. Are you interested in making healthy food your profession? Bowman College is a leader in the field of holistic nutrition and culinary arts. Their professional training programs prepare individuals for successful careers as nutrition consultants and natural chefs. Study at one of four locations in California and Colorado or learn from home in a self-paced mentor distance learning program. Find out more about their classes on holistic nutrition and culinary arts at bowmancollege.org. That's B-A-U-M-A-N college.org. Working from home is awesome, except when it's not. If you're working from your couch or your coffee shop, chances are you're not your most productive. For thousands of entrepreneurs, co-working is the answer. Next Space is a co-working company with offices in L.A. and the greater San Francisco Bay Area. Find an innovative workspace, a built-in community, and great networking opportunities at Next Space. Visit nextspace.us for more information. Next Space, your best work happens here. And we're back here to an organic conversation. I'm Helga Helberg. I'm Mark Mulcahy. And I'm Sita Rani Palomar. <laughs> These guys will not stop talking. <laughs> the history of Earl's Organic, outgrowing conventional for 25 years. With us is Earl Herrick and Patrick Stewart, both of Earl's Organic Produce, the only, the first and only um, produce wholesaler entirely focused on organic from day one on. Is that correct, Earl? Yeah, yes, absolutely. Um, but I, I, I want to get into when I met Mark and, the, and uh, where we were and <laughs> what we were doing. So years ago, back in mid-'80s, uh, we were going to the local wholesaler at that time, which is actually the oldest wholesaler in the country. And um, I, I would get, you know, so basically you're going to this market about 2 o'clock in the morning, and, you're, and of course it's a pre-order because everything's tight and, you're, and your uh, product is set up in front of you. And some of us, Mark and I in particular, we would go through every box on our order to look at the quality and, and to uh, pretty much critique it and see if we want it or not. That's the value of going to a wholesaler. So I remember one day I'm, I'm down there, hands and knees, looking at a product, totally focused, and, and somebody, uh, you know, about 10 feet away says, so uh, what do you think of that red leaf? 
Uh, well, I, actually, I don't. I don't. I don't like this stuff. I'm going for another variety, and I think they got something a little fresher. And from that conversation, that was Mark. We would talk pretty much about everything that was in front of us, going back and forth. Going, what do you think of this? Here, try a taste of this. You know, I didn't get those, and it went on and on. Um, what's your memory of that, Mark? Well, it was. It's exactly true. And the interesting thing is, and Patrick can chime in on this is. When we, when Earl and I were first starting, and when Patrick was first in the business, it was common for people to come down and buy produce. You used to take a truck to the market, or you know, people would be delivering and leaving the market. And there was a lot of buyers on the market, uh, on the organic market. I mean, for a relatively small market, but you know, there was there was people coming and going from Rainbow Foods to, I mean, all the stores in the Bay Area were sending somebody down in some capacity. But that's not the case anymore. I mean, it's very few people send a truck in in the middle of the night to get this. So what we're talking about really is history. Is that was like that was the way you got produce? Is you got in a truck and you drove down there in the middle of the night and and went through, walked through walk-ins and and talked to different people. But I remember Earl being there and he was kind of, you know, he's kind of the dude, right? Living Foods was mm. kind of the first little chain, and he was kind of the dude. Even back then already. It, back then, yeah. And it was kind of like I'd look over and he'd have stuff that I didn't have, and I was like, well, why is he buying that? You know, I didn't get offered that yesterday, so what's going on there? And I'd look over, and sometimes Earl would be wanting to talk to me, and sometimes he didn't want to talk to me. I, mean, I, was, I felt like I was kind of like the puppy, and he was kind of like the, the bigger dog going. <laughs> I had places to go. Mark. I got places to go. <laughs> But it did occur that way. It was just like having the courage to ask a question and just say, well, why are you buying that? And Isn't it was, that true for the entire movement? It feels like when we speak with growers, that's yeah. what they say. They say there was, there was no competition. They, everyone was just figuring it out and helping each other and yeah. sharing openly in the Grange. And like you know, the entire idea of we're in this movement together. We either all make it or we will all sink. Well, you know, that is really what drew me after I was doing it and, and what brought me down brought me to the point of the grower end of it was that very thing. Uh, the, the growers that I were talking to were friendly, they were open, they were inquisitive. Uh, I remember the first time I called a grower, I, I bought some butter lettuce uh, from a grower in Santa Barbara, and it was spectacular. So it, I, I looked up the information, gave him a call, and he goes, you know, the only time anybody ever calls me is when they have problems. So it's, <laughs> it's, it's great to hear from you. And, and you know, we talked, we chatted on, and, and, and that led to another conversation, another grower, and just calling him, uh, n not from the strategy of giving him strokes, but I was just so happy with what, you, what I was seeing. And, and for me, the quality was always the, the main issue, was always what you're looking at. And when Mark and I are down on that floor, that's what we're talking about. Whether it tasted good, it looked good, it was, it was heavy enough, we, all the different things. And we, we trained each other. And you still do that. You still inspect every box. You're looking at the quality. You're tasting it. Yep. So, Patrick, for you, what do you think is one or some of the most astounding differences in the last 25 years? If you were to show yourself pictures of what your environment looked like when you got into the industry and look at them now, what would make you laugh? Uh, oh, make me laugh. Or, uh. or like, <laughs> like, I can't believe that's the way it was then compared to how it is now kind of thing. Yeah, well, certainly, certainly there's bananas. You know, um, we, we just installed uh, banana ripening rooms, which was a very long process in uh, our relationship with bananas. It's probably been about... Um, well, not quite a 25-year process, but <laughs> very close. Um, Can you elaborate on that? What is yeah, a banana ripening room? Why like, is ah. it important? Like the, 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 For the average person who doesn't understand how we get bananas, what's the value of having a banana ripening room? What's so the need? ship comes from Ecuador, and then yeah. what? Yeah. Well, um, there's no laws against this yet, but, y you know, we really abuse uh, bananas more than, more than anything else really, in the produce world. We pick them when they're green. They're unripe. They're unedible. We put them on ships, sometimes trucks, ship them uh, to points uh, afar, and uh, then reintroduce the gas that they needed to be ripe in the first place, ethylene gas. So by reintroducing the, that gas with oxygen, they start their ripening process uh, uh, from uh, warehouse floor, basically. In an artificial environment. In an basically. artificial mm -hmm. environment, mm -hmm. yes. And and it's it's been very successful. And the, the, the banana business, both conventional and, and organic in the U.S., has, has, you know, really grown to, Mark maybe can help me on this, isn't it the second 
biggest selling item well, the, in, the, in a grocery store? Pr- yeah, uh, I thought it's the well, first. Well, it's, it's the number one, one produce item. Yeah. A packet salads are the number one organic item. Why gotcha. Why is that? It's like given the entire variety of produce that is grown domestically, if not local, why is it a banana? What is it about a banana that makes it the number one? Well, it's the original. Item? It's the original grab and go. I mean, yeah, uh, that's, exa- yeah. that's exactly it. It travels with you. Um, you can you don't have to eat it right away. Um, and it's I mean, it's full of potassium. It's full of energy. Um, you know, mostly when people want a snack, they they and it's fruit. Ultimately, yeah. you know, bananas are the most popular. So yeah. what's and the significance sugar. Of of you having a of Earl's Organic installing a banana room. Well, ultimately, um, you know, retail stores buy uh, bananas by color because they're customers. The end user buys banana by color. Um, most people, um, at the bare minimum, want something that's going to be eighty percent yellow. Some people mm-hmm. like an eighty percent, a little twenty percent green, a little shade, a little more starch, not so sweet. And some people like you know, all the way on the other end where they'll eat them, you know, dark, dark, dull yellow with spots. So it's up to us to get them something um, that they can work with from from the retail store level. So uh, in in uh, in, they, in order to get them that color, the ripening rooms um, really give us consistent, um, even color um, throughout the entire process. So we can get them uh, uh, Bananas are ranged in colors, so it's 3.5 colors, about 50% green, 50% yellow. Um, uh, four, point, uh, four colors, uh, about an 80-20, I would say. And um, people buy by color, so the more colors we can uh, uh, provide, the more bananas we'll sell. And you can imagine, um, as you walk into a store, when you see varying colors yes. that, they've, that they've been working on on Earl's level, is that a produce buyer goes, okay, it's Friday. I'm not getting a delivery again until Monday. So I want 10 threes. I want 10 fours. I want, you see, today I don't have any real, I don't have any ripe bananas. So I want a five, which is a, you know, regular full yellow banana. Correct. And so literally there's, it's a science of buying that they're basically doing what their customers need so that their customers can sell the most of those bananas. Because if they, if they send them all at five, then they're selling those bananas at twenty nine cents. Then the retailers selling them at twenty nine cents and spotted dot com, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you yeah. know, Sunday yeah. or Monday. So um, it's such a fascinating topic, the banana room, because it looks like a little NASA station. It's all computer, it uh, you know, or I mean, uh, managed, and it's unbelievable. It, it's it's um, huge walls of a completely self-regulated environment, right, that you guys installed. What it reminds me of is that scene in Mission Impossible when he drops from the ceiling. That's these tall (laughs) banana rooms look like that. That's what Patrick does. (laughs) 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 That's how you put them in there. (laughs) There there is great history to the banana rooms. I mean, just in the length of time that uh, we've been in the business, it's gone from, well, I'll let Patrick talk about it. I mean, it's gone from primitive to what we have. Yeah, there was a time where we where we brought bananas in. Um, they already had gas introduced uh, to them down in Los Angeles before they were put on trucks. So the ripening gassing process kind of happened on the truck in transit. Um, by the time that we got them, they were on the low end of their temperature spectrum. So we needed to raise their temperature three or four degrees, which doesn't sound like a big feat, but it's actually rather huge. So we would do all kinds of things like put blankets on them and put heaters <laughs> next to them. And then we came up with this talk great idea, talk to them. A little bit gently, of cocoa. Softly. Yeah. Um, a little bit <laughs> of cocoa. Bottle of red wine. <laughs> yes. um, so we actually built uh, what yeah. would probably... <laughs> are, are you warming up? <laughs> are you warming up? And, uh, we built what would uh, closely resemble a small one-car garage that was uh, completely insulated and um, had a heating element in to it. So at least that room could maintain a temperature. Um, and that worked okay. Uh, the, the, the thing with um, the tricky part with uh, ripening the bananas is that you have to get each banana the same temperature at the same time. So box of bananas is 40 pounds. There's roughly 100 individual bananas in one box. There's 48 boxes on a pallet. There's 960 pallets in a container. <laughs> to get them all at 60 degrees 
on a Tuesday with a 3.5 color, <laughs> it's nearly impossible unless you have the state-of-the-art facility. Yeah. Amazing. The history of Earl's Organic and the history of the organic movement going hand-in-hand, hand, outgrowing conventional for 25 years. Our topic in this hour here on An Organic Conversation, I'm Helge Helberg. I'm Mark Mulcahy. And I'm Sita Rani Palomar. And um, we want to talk more about the philosophy of the movement that attracted all of us to to this topic and to to the organic world, and um, hear from you guys what how you perceive the next ten years, what what may be in store for us. That and more when we come back. Um, stay tuned. Produce is ever changing, seasons coming and going. At Earl's Organic, we have been sourcing solely organic produce for over 20 years. Since 1988, Earl's Organic Produce has been establishing strong relationships with growers and developing a deep understanding of the seasons, so you can offer the most delicious organic produce to your customers, staff, and clients year-round. For organic produce, visit Earl's Organic Produce at earlsorganic.com. That's earlsorganic.com. Life's a game, and so is work. And just like any game, sometimes your team is in a slump. Maybe it's a new team, maybe there's conflict, maybe you're under pressure to keep up with your own success. Whatever it is, it is time to get your game face on. The ultimate game of work combines game design with executive coaching to create high-engagement workplaces. Boost your team's creativity and performance by designing the game you want to play and win together with the ultimate game of work. Enticed? Learn more at ultimategameofwork.com. And we are back here to an organic conversation. I'm Helge Helberg. I'm Mark Mulcahy. And I'm Sita Rani Palomar. Our topic is the history of Earl's Organic, outgrowing conventional for 25 years. A review of the past 25 years of the organic movement and a forecast soon where we may be heading. Um, Earl, we talked bananas. We talked about the early days a little bit. We could, we could fill hours and hours with stories, of course, of 25 years of experiences. What do you hold in your heart when you look at your career and this movement? What is, what's the most dear to you? Uh, that I can go to bed and, uh, after work and uh, feel totally uncompromised. Did that come out right? Uncompromised. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there you go. That was great. <laughs> came out right for me. <laughs> what I mean by that is every aspect of what I do, whether it's the, the people I, I, I talk with, uh, the people around me, uh, the growers, the product itself, I just see it incredible, uh, a huge circle of integrity. And uh, I, I mean, I was a salesperson years ago. I was knocking on doors selling encyclopedias. And I... I so, I mean, I, I got pretty good when I got to the point of, of feeling I was really doing something right for people. Uh, and organic produce for me, it just totally fit like a glove in that fashion. Uh, why introduce anything that you don't need to? Why would you do that to what you're actually going to ingest? Didn't make any sense. Patrick. Um, well, for me, um, you know, I think that the providing the service that, that we can provide and and, and the education um, that we can provide. Um, you know, Earl, I grew up at Earl's Organics, really. I mean, I, I, I started there when I was 24 years old, and um, the company has taught me a lot. Um, the organic movement has taught me a lot, and Earl's taught me a lot. And, uh, you know, he really drove home pri providing that service for people, and that w what we did was really special. And from the from the ground up, from the warehouse, uh, the guy sweeping the floor, which you know was me, um, <laughs> at a certain point, um, y you know, we he really impressed upon us, um, you know, this really wonderful special thing that we're doing, I, and I certainly carry that around with me. Still. Well, but I want to, you know, Earl comes from this place. Earl and I came from this place of, you know. Well, we were kind of hippies, and mm -hmm. and you know, no no pesticides, and you know, we don't we want to protect the earth, and you know, and it's all cool and all great, and you know, and and yes, and, and we really did come from that place, <laughs> and it really was a personal thing. Rachel Carson it was a book that I carried with me, you know, Silent Spring, all that stuff. But Patrick, that's not that's not your beginning. No, no, not at all. It's actually my beginning was just it was just a job. I just uh, an answered a job to drive a truck. Now that truck happened to be going to farms, small family farms in the Northern California Valley. And these were people that were, were squeezing out a living, um, growing organic produce, doing something that they really fundamentally, ideologically believed in. 
And that that certainly made a huge impression upon me. Um, and by the time that I got to Earl's, a couple years after that, um, it was really a part of who I was. I, I certainly had that moment where um, I believed in what I was doing. I believed in organics, and I was enjoying my <laughs> Carl's Jr. hamburger. <laughs> and I kind of said, well, wait a minute. This, this doesn't quite seem right. And, you know, it wasn't. And then I matured, and I don't do that anymore. Your worldview <laughs> is different. Helga, how about for you? I think that, I mean, you created this entire container for telling the organic story, but your organic story didn't actually start here um well for me in 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 a short form um i th i feel like we are all still selling encyclopedias for me this this makes this is life this makes sense i'm basically with every hour that we're spending on the radio or every piece of produce that i buy from earls um we are reinforcing life on whatever level it's the blueprint this is it there's nothing else and then you know the rest of my life you arrange as best as you can to that but this is really the pulse this is where this is where it's at it's the growers who work with the seasons it's the wholesalers and distributors it's the store that is committed um every person who works there it's like that's where it all starts that's where change starts that's where community starts that's where health starts um you can trace every every single challenge we have from methane to to um, you know, global warming, to water waste, to um, soil degradation, back to each single apple and how it's grown, or each each bunch of lettuce or carrots. That's incredible. It's that simple, actually. And you know, it's it's complex systems that we work within, but it really comes down to our relationship to soil and our relationship to what's grown out of it. If we if that's in tune, if that's in balance, and if that is right, done right that will be a healthy society and a healthy life. And um, that's why I'm doing this. But you know, we all, we wouldn't have a show right now if Earl wasn't here, if Patrick wasn't here, it would just be empty air and vice versa. So it's a true partnership and collaboration of everyone who's in this movement. And that's what makes it so extraordinary. Well, I can remember walking into Living Foods when Earl was working there as a, as a retailer because that's where he was buying for. And I remember walking in there one day and he was, he was on the floor. Um, and then we sobered him up, but um, <laughs> no, he was on the floor working, work, working work the sales floor. Don't, don't tell that story. Yeah. Drunk uh, on carrots. Yeah, and, and I remember <laughs> it, it. It's that perfect moment where he saw me and I saw him. It was unexpected that I would be there. I was I was in Marin County for for the afternoon, and I walked in there. And within within thirty seconds, first of all, we cut eye contact. Wow, you know what are you doing here? Type of thing, you know, kind of like when you see your teacher in the store type thing, and you're not sure why what's going on. And he said, "You've got to try this." <laughs> and that has been my experience in this industry, and with and with friends of mine like Earl's and Pat and Patrick, who I who I've grown up in this industry with was it was always about that excitement around that moment of that piece of fruit or that whatever that. It, and the grower mattered, how it was grown mattered, but really ultimately it came down to that moment of sharing the joy that you just couldn't even wait to put this in someone's mouth. You know, what's the, what the most beautiful part of that story for me is, and what's speaking between your words, is that we all are in awe of what nature provides. And we all realize that it's bigger than us. However well we do our job, whatever that job may be, even through the grower, when you speak to a grower, he or she would never say, you know, I grew this. That's why it's good. They, they've they done their part, certainly, and they worked hard. But it's that awe for nature and life that you can create something with the right conditions and the right work and passion to to have that satsuma or that one apple and a variety that doesn't even really exist anymore. And you have those moments of intimacy with that God-given piece of fruit that nature provided just because we tended to it that just blows your senses. I think that lives in all of us. We have such deep respect for something bigger than ourselves. Every day. Yeah. That's so mm -hmm. wonderful. Yeah, and we get there, and that's our playground. And I'll tell you, to be able to go to work knowing that that's right there, it's phenomenal. Sita, what are you suggesting? <laughs> you know, you should see we're the four the, the four of you work. are like eyes locked on each other. It's so wonderful. And I know we're starting to run out of time. We've yeah. got a couple minutes left. Sure. And I know that we wanted to get your insights about what do you think that is in store for the next 10, 25 years? 
Well, um, next five. Y- yeah, uh, you know what? <laughs> there's what I think and what I hope, and uh, y- you know I I think that organics will continue to grow and organic produce will continue to grow um, at at the pace that it has. I think there'll be a lot more focus on food safety. Um, it's just starting to come up in in, in a big way, um, and you know it's going to become bigger. Um, you know what I really hope is that we get more buyers onto the market. Mm. Um, Mark spoke of this briefly earlier. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, buyers don't really come down to the market and shop anymore. The salespeople at our company and other companies like it, um, we, we buy for our customers. And, and there's a link there that no longer exists that is so important. Um, it's a link of education. You know, Mark is the first person I ever saw eat an onion like an apple. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He taught, he taught uh, me about uh, produce yeah. every we single day. We have witnessed that, too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, actually, we're skipping what's in season. We have a, a, a mini little music here, of course. What's always, that is what's in season. Before <laughs> 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 skipping. Our, <laughs> our weekly segment. That was what's in season. Exactly. Um, that's our usually our segment every week in the show where Earl, you call in or you're part of, and mm-hmm. um, Mark and, and you, Earl, you discuss what nature will provide this week. Uh, of course, this is an entire um, episode on, on produce and the history. Um, so we're, we're going to skip that, as I said. But what's in mm-hmm. season for the next five years from your perspective? Where is it? Where's the movement heading? Well, I, I wow, it, it can go so many ways. I think it's going to continue to grow. It could very well splinter into almost a boutique organic where there are people that are not satisfied with the government regulations. They want something uh, more, more pure, uh-huh. if you will. And I can see that happening, especially on a regional basis where, where, where hopefully more small growers will continue to thrive and, and take uh, a really high integrity approach. I think that could very well happen. Some of the concerns I have are, are, are the weather, and that's going to, I think, play a huge part in, in what goes forward. If, if there is less water, those kind of crops are going to survive. I think people with money are going to be able to also to drive what's available. The uh, almond crop, for example, as not only the crop, but the consumption has doubled or tripled in the last 10 years. And it, it takes a huge amount of money to get that project going. And... Uh, people with money are driving that. So I think that's a positive thing. There are definitely people with money and, and uh, be able to focus that in uh, their money in, in those uh, fields is fantastic. I just hope uh, our climate uh, will uh, stay with us in a positive yes. way. No kidding. Yes, thank you so much. That's the history of Earl's Organic. We're out of time. <clears throat> I know we could spend hours and hours, and I know, Mark, um, the oral history of the movement is one of your projects. Um, so we'll we'll have you guys again, Patrick and Earl. Thanks so much for joining us today. That's thank you, Earl Herrick, the Great founder and owner of Earl's Organic Produce, and Patrick Stewart, director of operations, celebrating 25 years, actually now 26, 25 years of Earl's Organic <clears throat> and the organic movement, outgoing conventional for 25 years. Thanks for coming to the studio today. It was wonderful. Always a pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> well, happy birthday, gentlemen. Yes. And that yes. was this week's edition. And thanks for everything, everything you do. Yeah. It really yeah. makes a difference. It really does. Well, it's back our, at you. Our food <laughs> on the plate. <laughs> thanks for tuning in. That was this week's edition of An Organic Conversation. We'll see you next week. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye-bye.